Welcome to another episode of the Cool Tools Show and Tell. Our special guest this week is Rich Edwards. Hey, Rich, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Sure thing, Kevin. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Rich Edwards. Uh, I'm the CEO of a company called Mindspan Systems. We help uh, community banks and credit unions use their data to serve their customers better. Well, thank you for volunteering for this episode. I know you have some cool tools for us to share. So, Rich, what, what, what's one of your favorite tools that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I, I've always been a big fan of mechanical pencils, mm. something something about it, right? And particularly like Japanese ones. Um, I remember there, there was a store in Manhattan, I'm sure it's long gone now, called Lee Studio on 57th Street that would always have like the oddball, like weird mechanical pencils. I remember I bought, this one is a Kohenor. I bought this in the 80s sometimes. It's all faded and everything, but it just, it's one of those, like it has this knurled edge on it and this like very weird barrel. And it's like all these like very particular weird aspects to it. Um, the one I'm using now is um, a Uni um, and it's the the core edition of it. And the, the cool thing here is, um, as you push down on the pencil, as you like push pressure and release, it actually rotates the lead inside. And there's a little window that you can kind of wow. see that in there. And so it keeps it sharp, right? Because normally you're writing, you do like a page of work and it kind of gets this slanted edge on it. It spins it around. So you always have this very, very sharp point, even with something like this, that's a, a five millimeter lead. Um, being able to write very, very fine and precise lines, like... I, th there's someone else who has this same sickness of detail that I do <laughs> in Japan designing pencils. So, so very, very pleased with so it. So a couple of questions. Um, yeah. One is, what are you using that fine pencil for? What, what do you do where that kind of precision and, you know, minuteness is necessary? Yeah. Mainly taking notes. Okay. Um, you know, it, like many people, I spend a lot of time in meetings uh, throughout the day. Right. And so I'll take notes and there'll be a little bit of doodles in there and everything. But I, I also tend to write very small. Okay. Um, I, even as I get older and I have to occasionally wear reading glasses, I still write small because okay. I'm comfortable with it. I, so by training, I'm an engineer uh -huh. and, you know, going through school in the late eighties, early nineties, it was, you know, mechanical drafting was a big sure. part of it. So my handwriting kind of mimics that a little bit. Okay. And, yeah. And, so, and why pencil and not ink? I think the precision of it, I've, I've tried writing with very fine, um, you know, like three and five millimeter ink. Um, Stadler makes some very, very nice, I think they're for drafting, but they call them like marking pens, but they're, they're very, very fine. It, it's not the same thing. There's, there's something, there's something about the feel. And I don't know if it's, if it's the letter, the graphite coming off on the page, but th there's something tactile about it. That's, that's different than an ink pen or rollerball or mm -hmm. something. I, I'll, I'll use um, a pen I use normally is like the Fisher space pen. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's okay, mm -hmm. but that's only if I have, it's gotta be permanent or I'm signing something or something yeah. like that. If I'm just taking notes, like right. my go-to, it's always five millimeter pencil. Because, um, you know, the Japanese obviously make some very, very fine pointed pens. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. um, 
the people that I know whose handwriting is very minuscule were using pens. And so is smudging the pencil not an issue for, for you? I really haven't had that big okay. of an issue. I, you know, even for a while there, uh, I'm a big Evernote user. Yeah. It, it Like you want to talk about like weird old stuff, right? Like I will take all my notes by hand and then scan them. Mm. Like, so it, I know there's some brokenness about that, or I'm holding on to something. You're scanning but... and then OCRing, or just scanning? Uh, yeah, it does it. Like I think the way I have it set up is it'll OCR, okay. um, but that's good for search every once in a while. I don't I don't rely on it. I right. think it's only for reference. Like for me, it's very much the act of writing down the words is the act of memory, and everything else is kind of like backup and for reference. Right. Okay. And then the cost of of the pen. What 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 does the? I mean, excuse me, the pencil. What? The, yeah, the, I the, this... think it's like seventeen. Okay. Uh, let me see if I have the. Yeah, link I right think here. I, I can. Kind of um... it. Yeah. Um, it, it's not crazy expensive. Sorry, nine dollars. Okay. Um, normally fifteen. Right now it's on sale for nine thirty nine. Wow. So. This is called the Unicore. <laughs> right. Sharp mechanical pencil. Um. Nine dollars, so it rotates the. Even though it's only a, how many millimeters? This is a five. This is five, yeah. Even though it's a five millimeter, it's still rotating it. Well, wow. it's still rotating. Wow. Yeah, every time you push it down, if if you look at there's a there's a picture there in mm -hmm. the link, and you see this little orange window on the bottom. Mm -hmm. That has it's either index mark or characters that as it's rotating, you can see it spin around like it indicates what it's actually doing inside. So when you say when you press down, it means like when you're writing with it, or do you have to press yes. down? Like you you pick it up between letters yeah. and it will clock it. Uh <laughs> I I I want to say it's like maybe 10 or 12 uh -huh. around. So it's you know, it's doing what, like maybe five to ten degrees yeah. every time you pick it up. So it's it's not big movements but it's yeah wow I, I mean for nine dollars it's like how do they how do they do that yeah, like it's right. amazing it's almost a miracle right, right. That they can pull that off yeah um i know that i've i use mechanical pencils in my workshop um but i've used the um disposable kind because right yeah um, i'm losing them losing track of them i have a lot of them everywhere just so we have one um and they're they're little mechanical marvels too. And what do you, what do you what are you marking with? Oh, well, you know, like like woodworking and stuff. Woodworking, okay. Just, so just, probably not five mil, something a little yeah, thicker. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's just um, yeah, it's just sort of marking wood, measuring mm -hmm. stuff, all that kind of stuff. Um, well, Rich, I was, that was great. So, so what's the second tool that you want to introduce us to? Yeah, uh, there's a there's a cool thing from uh, Scotch Tape that's called the Tape Runner, um, and it's it's like this. It's a, it's a regular dispenser. Um, I think they actually the pattern on there is like little dots. But you're holding up um, something that's I don't know, but the size of an avocado, and but less than that. Yeah, yeah. I mean it fits in your palm. It's in your palm is um, sort of so it's it's smaller than a regular like Scotch Tape dispenser. Much smaller. Um, but it has a wheel on it. And as you run that across like a piece of paper or an index card, it leaves a, essentially a thin layer of what would almost be double-sided tape, but it's not quite that substantive. It's almost like a very thin film and there's dots of adhesive to it. 
And so for, for this one, the, the blue one, this is repositionable. And essentially you're making post-it notes. It's like that level of adhesive. Um, and so you can kind of put it up and reposition it. And like, this was, I think I found this when I, I had a job where we went all in on design thinking. And so you do a lot of like the workshops and everything, and it's post-it notes all over the wall and little cartoons and everything. And we started to get fancier with it. And somebody had one of these. I said, that's, that's really neat. Right. So it's so a way um, to very neatly apply adhesive in a very controlled way on some paper. Like right. A permanent adhesive or repositional one. Right. Like a post-it. And, and instead of having, and then I, I also have the green, which is, which is heavy duty. And right. this is, this is permanent. Like that's not going right. anywhere. So, instead of having a, a can of spray adhesive or some mm -hmm. sticky bottle of it, you have this very, very tidy tape. Or or double-sided tape. Yeah. That's probably the closest thing, right. but it's it's nice in that it, it's this roller that's positionable. So like you don't have to have a straight edge. Right. You can do like a curved edge around the outside. Right. It's very precise. Um, yeah, and it, it, it works. It works fantastic. It's just, just this, again, another magical tool, right. like how they come up with this. Right. And get get it like exactly right where it needs to be right. from a from a stickiness standpoint. There's another version of, uh, there's another kind of tape that's in the same kind of dispenser that's a whiteout tape mm -hmm. that you apply over um, something and like white paper and it makes it white again. Um, and it's basically, it's like a very, very um, dense, opaque, very thin white film that covers it. And um, it used to be for like when you were typewriting. Yeah. But we, uh, when we're doing um, illustrations, uh, like ink illustrations, it's fantastic mm -hmm. for making corrections when you're doing something in ink that you can't erase. So you just put this little film over it very, very quickly, instantly, dry, nothing. And it and it's a way for correcting um, mistakes or changes in ink drawings. And is that like you're going to do a reproduction yeah. on that? And so that won't show up? Right, won't show up. Yeah. And, and even for some artists, it's okay even for... Mm, presentation i mean it's like mm -hmm. if, if you if you're the kind of artist that that likes that um the witness marks they call them in sure workshop, yeah. where you 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 show the the progress of the the making of it you know anyway so there are there but but it's mostly for re reproduction mm -hmm. i i remember something similar i had a, a back to drafting a draftsman job one summer and we were mainly doing um, drawings on vellum, right? So like yeah. that thick, very thick, like three or four mil thick film. And there was like a bunch of weird stuff, you know, to solvent to take ink off and, you know, able to patch things in or, or you know, put pieces in there and you have to spray it with like cranolin spray. And it, you're very, <laughs> very mechanical and hands-on. Right, right, right. You know? all, yes. all that has been replaced by the <laughs> beauty of, um, you know, computers. Um, and people don't realize um, the extent to which the, the what's the, the laborious process of, oh, yeah. of doing um, things by hand, drafting, laying out, cut and paste. We literally would cut and mm -hmm. paste it. Yeah, um, we were using um, beeswax usually. 
uh, because you could reposition it if you had to. Um, and um, but just we you know even film, literally you would cut and paste film and tape. So yeah, it was it was it was it was amazing. I mean, like audio tape. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. For editing. For yeah. Editing. Yeah, you're ed- editing film by cutting it and gluing the splicing it and the same thing with audio each time you're making a little cut and and everybody's been very nostalgic about this with the well it was 40th anniversary of the macintosh right right, right, right. a couple of weeks ago and it was like oh look at you know quark express and you know how that completely changed desktop publishing and was this disruptive factor yeah it's true yeah quark um the alternative was this mind-boggling tedious. <laughs> so anyway, we're we're or craftsmanship, I guess, depending no, on no, which it, side well, of the line. Yeah, you there, there's yeah. a certain there was a certain joy in in having accomplished it, but by God, yeah, nobody in their right mind would go back to that unless it's an art piece of some sort. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so um, these little um, analog tools of the of the tape that you're suggesting. The double back tape is um, fantastic for when you're doing things in the analog world. Yeah, I, I, I typically like I have a board in my office that I will put quotes or pictures of things. I don't know if vision boards the right word, yeah. but you know things that I want to glance at and be reminded of. You know, powerful things to kind of trigger my memory. And like again, I will typically print it out or write it and then stick it to that board, and that's. With with the repositional or with yeah, the, I'll usually use the the permanent yeah. ones because repositioning are good for you know just now or we want to yeah, move yeah. it around. If it's going to stay there a long time, I'll usually go with the yeah. the I think it's heavy duty. Okay, uh, extra strength. Right. Sorry, the extra strength. And and these are called uh, runners, Scotch tape runners. Yes, tape runner. Um, so um, yeah, tape runners and double-sided there as well as repositionable yeah and they even uh like even you know for something like this they sell a refill which uh, is surprising because you think you yeah. know what is there about a nickel worth of plastic on the outside mm-hmm. and they're like no we'll give you the guts of it you know and be able to reuse that keep going forward so you know mm-hmm. kudos to them yeah um we um Okay, so um, so Scott, what's another um, tool that you like to suggest to us? Yeah, one one thing I was was going to point to is a, uh, a a video series, and I sent you the link to it, and it was a a guy who owned a early mid nineties Mitsubishi car. It's a three thousand GT, and one of the features the car had when it came out was a like built in factory car phone. Uh, I believe it was Diamantel was the phone. And this guy, being a software engineer, figured out how he could essentially make that work, you know, via a Bluetooth interface with the modern cell um, cell infrastructure and retain all the functionality of the phone, like how it worked with the factory radio, how it would do announcements, the hands-free functionality, all circa, you know, 1993 or wherever it was. Um, which was very, I mean, it, you look at what he did and he has a whole series of went through there. He like, he made a custom Bluetooth board to kind of pull it off mm-hmm. of the integration, 
published all the code on GitHub. Uh, very, very impressive project, but it was, you know, obstinately, you know, keeping this technology going and, and making it relevant. And it's another one of those kind of like nostalgia projects, uh -huh. very impressive and very well executed. And is there a, was there a tool involved that you were suggesting? I think it's more the spirit of what he did and, and how he was able to like basically manufacture the piece that went in there. Um, he, he does talk about how he had the custom board built for it. Okay. Um, it's about the third, the way in on the whole piece, but very, very impressive. It's like, you know, like, like almost everything in instructables, right? This oh. whole idea of not only am I going to go to great lengths, to kind of make this thing still work or make it do what I want it to do, even though it wasn't necessarily designed to do that. Uh, and I will share with you how to do it. Okay. I'll show you the path that I took. Sure. Okay. So we'll have a link to that video. Um, in, oh, it was a YouTube video. Um, so Rich, what's a fourth tool that you'd like to share with us? Yeah. The the last one I'll, I'll point to is uh matter, which is a, a fairly new service. Um, that is on the surface of it, a, a bookmarking service. Okay. Um, but one of the things it does extremely well is uh, managing managing a, a queue and making it available from a text-to-speech standpoint. But it... You, it, okay. Yeah. Um, so if... Meaning, I have a reading list. Yeah. Now I've turned that reading list into effectively my own audiobook okay. or my own podcast. So, um, just to get a couple things, this is a phone app or web browser app or what, what? It's it's. I believe it's 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 uh, web only right now. I don't. Believe, oh no, they do have they do have an app. They do have an app. That's right. Yeah, there is. So I know. I've used the iOS side. So. It's web and phone, and yeah. presumably those integrate. And yeah. um, it's maybe like you say bookmarking. So like delicious, like uh, Evernote, like. Mm -hmm. Readwise, in that sense, uh, right? But different in what way? It it's the text to speech aspect, like very very good, very well done. The interface is is just very minimalist and smooth. Right. Um, I think they have five or six different voices okay. to pick from, and I mean, the, like that. There's nothing magic about text to speech in and of itself, but the layer that they're they're using and the models that they're doing um, are very good on like picking up the intonation and the tone that goes with it. You know, the, like the little bit of like uplift when it's a question, mm -hmm. you know, and, and picking up on, on points and end of paragraphs. And, you know, it, it, it's spooky how much it is very much like somebody reading. Okay. To you. And what would, how would you use it? Give me an example yeah something something you have used or had read to you in, in recent days yeah so I, a lot of times i will i will i mean i read a lot just in the course of my job right. what i do um and i i'm a heavy evernote user mm -hmm. and will typically collect there and read from evernote mm -hmm. um but being able to kind of take that on the go to be able to get through some of that when I'm driving or going for a walk or you know doing chores or something, it's and it's very well done. You, I I've tried a couple things like that before and it little clunky, mm -hmm. you know, maybe good for ten or fifteen minutes. But I've I've done 
you know, a, a 90 minute walk before going through, uh, you know, four or 5,000 word article okay, um, and being able to consume it and, you know, do it at 120%, you right. know, cause you can kind of hear it a little bit faster than sure. you can say it, you know, so. And, and it would be um, smart enough to parse out, you know, illustrations or avoid them or, or sometimes formatting um, things um, could be problematic. And in this case, yeah, it's, I have to figure that out. They don't, yeah, it won't describe like diagrams mm -hmm. or images. It will read you the metadata right. that's in there for web. Um, they just launched a, um, I don't know if it's a parser or a reader, but specifically for PDFs, where you can just give it a PDF, upload a PDF or point it to a PDF online, and it will be able to parse it and read through it you know, that well. So, mm -hmm. um, but it's, it it's at least as good as, you know, probably any screen reader mm -hmm. I've seen, uh, seen performance around of, but, mm -hmm. but again, it's, they, they got that little bit extra of almost like it has a personality yeah, behind right, it. Sure. Right. It's enough to kind of fool your brain sure, that sure. you're like, Oh, I'm just listening to somebody read, right, right. you know, not effectively just a machine or algorithm, yeah. you know, parsing through this whole thing. I don't know so. if you had a chance to, to interact with the AI called Pi, P-I, the personal. No, I haven't. Well, they they also have um, a you know it's a it's a conversational interface, mm -hmm. and the 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 AI the bot is not just is the intonation good, but they they actually do have a personality that they program into, into them, and they're yeah. they make little jokes of the right. I mean, they're good. Their 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 mm -hmm. delivery is is impeccable, um, and. There's there's nothing alien or uncanny valley about them at all. They're right. totally convincing as a, a as a conversationalist, and so um, I I can believe um, matter would be pretty good by now. Um, so you're you're finding it like these are web pages, or do you you say you can do a book in the sense you could take a document, you could take mm -hmm. a document you had and you wanted it someone sent to you, you could have them read it to you. I, I don't know if you can upload documents. I've mainly been using it as like a supplement to a web clipper. Okay. Um, to articles. I I mean, I I get the impression they're very new. Okay. Um, but but they've gotten that interface, they've gotten right, the right. the user experience right. down really, really well. Right. And so you you are clipping things. Do they clip as well, or you clip with Evernote and then have Matter read it? Yeah, there's a they have a um uh, a Chrome. Uh, extension yeah. and then it it it's also native iOS um you know send to okay you know the whole menu that right. how it handles that okay great and, and I don't know on Android but I mean it wouldn't surprise me they they right. seem to nail everything else pretty pretty clearly and, um so is this is probably a subscription um they have a fairly generous free tier um I think of the five voices, maybe you get one or two um, right. at the free tier. And then the subscriptions, I, I have the subscription, which is, I think it's 14 a month. Okay. Um, and it opens everything up and you can sure. do different voices. Okay. Yeah. All righty. For, for me, it's been well worth it because it, it it's, I'm buying time, right? The, the ability to kind of spend several, yeah. probably more hours a week reading that I wouldn't be able to because... I'm otherwise engaged in something.
And, and by reading, you mean auditing. Sure. <laughs> Just I, I don't begrudge anybody who says they read a book and they listen to the audiobook. As far as I'm concerned, it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. It's <clears throat> it's um I think auditing is oftentimes I prefer my fiction to be audited rather than Yeah. Um well this is really great, Rich. So um we have a few minutes. Why don't you um tell us about um a passion project you might have or yeah. um um a mission you're on or whatever you would like to share with our audience. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll, I'll just talk about, I'll talk about the, the business I'm in right now. Um, the, the, the market that we serve, like who we help are small, small financial institutions, banks, credit unions. There's usually this clip at about $10 billion in assets, banks kind of thinking in balance sheets. Um, and there's, there seems to be, not quite an appreciation for the role they play in 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 our society, but in particularly our our economy. And how many um, how many are are there just to have a sense of the landscape in in the U.S. How many of that size are are, are there? Yeah, all in a little under ten thousand. Okay, it's about half and half between banks and credit unions. Ten thousand um, and fifty states. So so. In your neighborhood, wherever you live, there's likely to be a handful of them. A couple, yeah. right? Correct, okay. absolutely. All right. And in the the thing about them is they, you know, they essentially function as as a source of risk capital for a lot of things that happen in in local economies and and local local uh, markets. Um, way overrepresent in 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 small business particularly small business administration loans like their their ability to like source and service those way way bigger than than larger banks larger institutions um also commercial real estate so you think about many of the places that you rely on that you shop on local um strip malls shopping centers you know a lot of like projects like that typically are being um, serviced and and being funded by by a local financial institution by a local local bank because it's that presence in the community not just that there's a branch there but that the leadership is there they are active in the community they know what's going on they're tied into all of the things that that kind of make that economy go as opposed to this is one of our 10,000 branches that we're going to set up here as more or less a retail location. Um, so that, that size institution, you know, really, really punches above its weight class. And, and, you know, everybody kind of really got scared about the risk into banks last year, you know, with the Silicon Valley bank and, and signature bank and, and worry about it, um, with good reason, you know, and you start having flashbacks to like, you know, 2009, 2010. Um, and what you saw was the the commitment and the resilience of the very, very big banks, you know, the the too big to fail banks, and the very, very small banks were were just as well. They did just as well from financial performance standpoint and their ability to hold on to deposits and remain solvent. Um, so that the small financial institution, it's it it's often overlooked. But but really valuable, really really important um, to to the economy. And so, 
you know, we, we kind of help them. We, we, we work with them from a, you know, from a, a data services standpoint, you know, we do things around data science, data engineering, a lot of like IT architecture type work, but then also machine learning and AI. That's a little bit of my background, um, you, you know, and help them in ways that they're really not going to be able to develop those skills or those capabilities in house, but can certainly have somebody come in and help them with incremental projects and, and bring on new capabilities that are helping them, you know, continue to punch above their weight class and their service level. Um, what, and what, so, what kind, we, what kind of things are what kind of things do they need help? I mean, specifically, what are you helping them to do that they haven't been able to do by themselves? Yeah, um, I, I mean, you you look at some of the things that happen just in the normal course of business, like from a segmentation standpoint, you know. You're an individual of, uh, you know, certain income level. You're a business. You're a local government. You're a commercial real estate investor, right? And each one of those customers looks very different. And so you might think about, you know, I have seven or eight different types of customers that do business with me. Either depositor, um, you know, things like checking accounts, you know, transactional accounts, or we're doing merchant service accounts, like, you know, being able to take credit card or, you know, we're taking your cash in at the end of the shift, those type of things, or you're a lender, um, you're borrowing from me for a mortgage or for commercial real estate or to start or expand a small business, you know, and those are discrete different things. And usually your problem is tied to a specific solution, a specific product. But when somebody begins to go across product lines and their needs become much more unique. You start breaking these segments apart, and it, you really need to have, you know, the tools to look at look at somebody as an individual. Look at them from a complete view of what their needs are and what they're buying from you. And traditionally, I mean, a lot of these institutions are like a hundred years old. Like that's not an uncommon thing to run across. Um, they're, they're not on the cutting edge of technology. They're not on the cutting edge of being able to pull out, say, all of the features and functions of, of like, say, a personalization recommendation around that. Being able to see those customers as, you know, segments of one, for example, um, and then treat them accordingly to, in, in a, like an efficient way. Right. Um, so so I, I'm saying like maybe a bank, they have a customer who is, you know, uh, does real estate or something. And so they mm -hmm. tended to only see them as a customer doing real estate. And they may actually also at the same time, um, maybe they had a, a, something on the side that they were doing or they were sure they needed this. Yeah. Because they were segmented as real estate, they weren't, those other needs and wants weren't weren't visible to them, and this is a way to make those it, visible. Is that it might even be more complicated than that because, for like for example, for a real estate investor, they typically will create a whole new LLC for each project they're invested mm -hmm. in. So one investor might have dozens of LLCs that they're doing both deposit and lending with you from, and it may be very hard to see them as this is the entire book of business that we're doing with them. Okay. Let me review that on a periodic basis, sure. see how okay. I can help them okay. and use that into like how I'm pricing the next deal that we're going to get into. Sure. That turns out to be very difficult to do. Oh, all right. All right. Okay. Well, that's, that's, and so um, for, for, for listeners, is there anything as someone who has been working with them, would you have any tips for the normal average person who might have to interact 
with mm -hmm. a small business or even would you suggest that they consider that versus uh, Wells Fargo or something? Um, what is there anything from your own experience here that you would suggest as a bit of advice to us listeners out there regarding these local small credit unions and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, number one, um, there's more of them than you probably appreciate. Mm -hmm. And there's more of them that, you know, you probably drive past every day. Sure. Um, and, and how are they um, better? How would they be better than, than going with a chase or whatever the big banks are called these days? I, I think it's, it's th that holistic view of, all the different things that you're going to be involved in from, from, you know, your financial life and how they might help you. And particularly when you begin to like go through different phases and have different needs, I'm going to buy a vehicle. Maybe I'm buying, I'm going from being a renter to buying my first house. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm changing jobs. I might be changing locations, you know, helping me go through those transitions. You're going to, you're going to find a lot more, interest and really that personalized advice because that that's the thing they're always going to lean into and frankly their business model is built around mm -hmm. is you dealing with another human being one-on-one -on -one for your situation that you're in as opposed to you're one of ten thousand people that have this specific tranche of type of product that you have and if there's a problem or there's an issue um, you know, you're going to go into a very, very long call center to kind of get that resolved. Right. Um, one of the things that kind of came out of that last, um, the, the, you know, the last crisis, you, you know, in, in the Great Recession was the, the almost explosive growth of fintech companies, like technology companies that kind of are like a bank, kind of do this thing, particularly on peer-to-peer -peer side, like just the monumental growth in in um, uh, Venmo and um, uh, Cash App, um, two of the bigger ones. Um, what was was missing from that, and, and the government is very, a little slow to the punch on realizing like, oh, people are treating these and expecting them to be like a bank, but they are not a bank and they are not regulated like a bank. And they don't have the same controls and oversight and compliance requirements that banks do. And so that's, we're just kind of catching up to that right now where, you know, they're being looked at as like, Oh, you deal with people's money. There is a higher requirement you need to meet than right. say a social media network right. does. Right. So, so, so you're right. You know, these days, young people probably have never been in a bank ever in their lives. I think my kids mm -hmm. are like that. I don't think they've ever been in a bank. They do everything on their phones. Mm -hmm. Would you suggest to them that they go to a local credit union and have basically get a personal banker in that sense? Go in and talk to them about what you're facing. What What are you thinking about? What What are you worried about? And they're, they're going to have an answer for it. You're going to talk to an individual who has seen people like you in your situation mm -hmm. and be able to give very good advice about how to think about it, which way to go, mm -hmm. not just which product to buy or, right, you know, right, come right. in and be a customer, but like how to think about, right. you know, how you use money to achieve your goals. Right. Right. I, th I think one of the, one of the, the, what's the word, prejudices that 
that people have often with that is that they're that they're going to be sales. They're going to be sold. <laughs> they walk in. It's like they're going to be like a mark, and they're going to they're innocent, and this person is going to upsell stuff to them. Is, mm -hmm. is that what do you do about that uh, fear? I mean, you know, there's always the I'm I'm here to get information and like you would anything, any major purchase or decision, you, you obviously you shop around, you like right. look at alternatives and see. So go into the big bag, see how they treat you different, see what the different options are. Mm -hmm. um, but but always, always be you always got to read the fine print on a lot of these things. You know, particularly when it comes to things that have like, you know, the percentage rate and a really big number, you know, and, and being able to sit down and have somebody explain to you the difference between those mm -hmm. two um, and, you know, how a lot of the common terms and conditions may or may not be to your advantage. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the, there's a caveat emptor to this, but you're also going to find um, you're in general, you're treated less as a number by a smaller institution because you matter more yeah. to them. Their, their reliance on you to be a good reference mm. for them, to be somebody who's going to say, yeah, I had a great experience with them. I had this problem. I didn't know what to do. They helped me. They point me in the right direction. I, I get everything I need from them. You know, I'm never worried about, you know, am I going to be able to get my paycheck on time and pay my bills on time? Like that gets taken care of and it's not an issue. Right. That they're in, the, they are fundamentally in the business of trust, right. and the smaller institution realizes that and takes it much more seriously right. um, than their peer set does. And one last thing for people, um, this is the question I have, which is, what's the difference between a credit union and a bank? Yeah, pretty pretty much the, it it's how they're treated from a tax standpoint. That's an oversimplification. But does it make any difference to me as a consumer, as a or as the you know as a customer? Not really. Um, it, it, there are some technicalities in you know what a deposit is mm. between the two, and they'll kind of talk about bank shares and how that's different than say interest rate that you get there. Um, at a very high level, on par, they're kind of the same. You'll you'll typically see be, because um, uh, credit unions are nonprofits, um, you will typically see lower rates on things like consumer loans, um, and that will get passed on to you. Um, so there's some cost savings associated with that. the The trade off is there. You know they will have a um, a specific charter about the type of customer, or they won't talk about customer, let's say member, the type of member that they're allowed to have, whether that's a specific um, um, employer, like you'll mm -hmm. see credit unions associated with specific employer yeah. or specific job classifications. Mm -hmm. Many of them are geographic areas. I see. Okay. Well, they'll say, we're only allowed to bring in members that are in this geography. I see. Okay. And go about that rate. Yeah. All right. But those those lines are getting more and more blurred. You have some fairly large credit unions, mm -hmm. um, and you actually see credit unions buying regular chartered banks now as kind of part of their expansion. So, really, okay. no difference. Already, well, Rich, thank you so much for this. Um, um, I, I love the fact that we kind of veered into something that we don't normally get to in cool tools, which is you know financial institutions, banking. 
um, interest rates. So thank you for, for that. Um, I really appreciate it. And thank you for your great tools. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Already. This year, our Cool Tools blog will be 20 years old, which means we've been posting something new every day for 20 years. It's only possible because of the very engaged and knowledgeable readers and listeners like yourself. You've kept this place going, and we are very grateful for you. With this idea of 20 years in mind, um, we decided to try an experiment this year, and I'm inviting our guests and listeners to join me on our Cool Tool Show and Tell, which is the program that you're listening to right now. So if you feel you'd make a good guest on this podcast and have four uncommon tools that you'd like to share with us, um, please sign up on our form on the website and we'll see about inviting you. You must be comfortable taking on, talking on a video and um, you need to have some tools that you can show um, we record on, as you know, on Zoom. We do a YouTube version, a visual video version of it, as well as an audible version. Fill out the form if you're interested and um, list your four, four cool tools, and we'll see if there's a good fit. The applications aren't guaranteed in any way, um, and we're looking at tools that are new to us and appropriate tools and um, whether the times will work for you. So um, we're really interested in hearing from people all over the world, not just in the U.S., although the tools have to be available online, easily available online. And um, if you are a longtime listener, you kind of know what the definition of our tools are. They're very broad. They can be anything that's handy, from something in the kitchen to something you use to travel to a workshop to something professional that we may not know about. We're really interested in things that we don't know anything about. So um, this is an open invitation. We'll give it a try. If you think you make a good guess for this podcast, um, fill out the form. There'll be a link somewhere on our website. Um, and we look forward to, to chatting with you. Thank you.